I know sometimes I get ramped up, and I go back and listen, and I'm like, Daggum, man, relax, buddy, bring it down. So today I'm going to try to try to chill a little bit. All right, here we go. So a life lived for God. So this is our study through the book of Joshua. Uh, today is our 96th message. And last week we're in uh, our message was just called Fulfilling God's Plan, part number one. And we were in Joshua chapter 14, verses 1 through 5. And what you found is last week we only got to the first verse. We looked at that very first point, which was actually designating and looking at those individuals that God had put in place to be the leadership for the distribution of the inheritance of the promised land. We talked about them, and we used our first point was the facilitators of God's plan. And what we took note of was the fact of the order with which they were listed. It was very interesting. Joshua has been the lead, going, going, going. Joshua is the lead. And then what we found was the fact that it switched. When we got to this point, when God was going to distribute his blessing to his people, now Eleazar, who is the high priest, he went from being in a secondary role to being in the primary role. So Eleazar is listed first. And what we realize is the fact that the reason that is the case is because Eleazar was the spiritual leader. His job was to make certain that what they did would honor and glorify God. Then we saw Joshua. Now, Joshua was his role. He was a general. He was a military leader. His job was to ensure or make certain that the Israelites were strategic in completing the mission that God had established for them, which was to win Canaan. And then we saw the last advisors were the tribal leaders, the fathers of the tribes. And their job was to look out for the best interest of the people. Now, interestingly enough, as we consider that order of priorities, what it was saying is, first of all, God, first of all, needed to be receiving glory. Secondarily, God's mission was to be completed. And the very last thing was the people receiving their inheritance. And when we consider this and we equate it to ourselves as children of God, when we make decisions in our lives, things for ourselves or for people that we care about, we need to be asking ourselves, is what I am going to do, first and foremost, is it going to give glory to God? Secondarily, is it going to complete the mission to reach this lost world that God has placed me in? And then thirdly, our very last concern should be our own personal gain, how it influences, influences us. And so many times that orientation is flipped. We live in a world where most everything is about how is it going to impact me? What about me? What am I going to receive? In the end, what, in the, what really, really matters is what I get out of it. And we looked at the prioritization that God gives in Matthew 6.33, where he says this, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Seek ye first Put God in a place of preeminence in your life. You should be in the back, right? There's that, 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 the acronym of joy. Jesus, others, yourself, right? Joy. If you ever have a curiosity about that, not that I mean that word was made for that purpose, but I'm just saying that acronym just happens to fit, and I've used it in my life. But every day we need to ask ourselves and determine the choices that we're making in our lives. Are we doing them with the orientation that's proper, or is it more about ourselves? And so with that under our belt, now we're going to do is move into Joshua 14, verses 1 through 5. We're going to finish all five verses today. And this is Fulfilling God's Plan, part two. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of this word. Thank you, Father, for the work that you've done in my life through it. Uh, thank you, Lord, for the opportunity I'm given to just share the truth of your word. Uh, God, you know the inadequacy that's in this flesh. Uh, Lord, you know the, the, the issues in my own mind, Lord, the things that get in my own way. God, in spite of me, Lord, would you bring your word? In spite of me, Lord, would you speak truth? In spite of me, Lord, uh, would, you, uh, would you impart truth that we need, Father, for this life? Uh, Lord, the world is wicked, and Lord, it's broken, and we desperately need to hear from you. So, Lord, I pray that you would take hold of this message, and Lord, use my mouth, my mind, and get me out of the way. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, Joshua 14, verses 1 through 5. And these are the countries which the children of Israel inherited in the land of Canaan, which Eleazar the priest and Joshua the son of Nun and the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel distributed for an inheritance to them. By lot was their inheritance as the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses for the nine tribes and for the half tribe. For Moses had given the inheritance of two tribes and a half tribe on the, side, on the other side Jordan, but unto the Levites 
he gave none inheritance among them. For the children of Joseph were two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim. Therefore they gave no part unto the Levites in the land, save cities to dwell in, with their suburbs for their cattle and for their substance. As the Lord commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did, and they divided the land. As I mentioned last time, our goal in examining these verses was, first of all, we looked at that first point, which was considering or understanding who the facilitators of God's plan were. Okay, We first of all looked at who the facilitators were in verse number one. We did that last week. Then we're next going to look at the implementation of God's plan. We'll then look at the compromise of God's plan, then the holy purpose of God's plan, and then finally the fulfillment of God's plan. So if we start off now with the implementation of God's plan, verse number two, by lot was their inheritance as the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses for the nine tribes and for the half tribe. Now, this verse opens up with an unusual phrase, by lot, okay, by lot. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I don't use that phrase a lot. Maybe like that I do. Um, <laughs> but... So to get a grasp on what it was talking about, what I did was I went to the Bible and I looked up the term by lot. It shows up 22 different times specifically in Scripture, and it's first mentioned in Numbers chapter 26, verse 55, which interestingly enough is where God's giving the instructions about this very thing. Numbers 26, verses 51 through 56. These were the number of the children of Israel, 600,000 and 1,730. 601,730 people. These are men over the age of 30, or over the age of 20. That's how it's numbered. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Unto these the land shall be divided for an inheritance according to the number of names. To many, to many thou shalt give the more inheritance, and to the few thou shalt give the less inheritance. To every one shall his inheritance to be, to given, uh, be given according to those things, or to those that were numbered of him. Notwithstanding, the land shall be divided by lot. According to the names of the tribes of their fathers, they shall inherit. According to the lot shall the possession thereof be divided between many and few. Now, a lot in the Bible is a device that is used to discern or come up with a, with a conclusion. For you and I, it might be something if we thought about it today. It might be like rolling the dice. Might be like drawing straws, right? We think about whenever you saw, um, whenever Jonah was on the was on the was on the boat, right? And the winds were blowing, and everything was going crazy. And the sailors, man, we need to figure out what's going on. Why is who's who's God mad at? And they drew lots, and the lot fell upon fell upon Jonah. We think about the men that were at the foot of the cross, and they were casting lots to determine who would get Jesus' clothing. So we look at this, and we go, okay, that's a, a methodology that God is using here. And what we find is the fact that it's for the purpose of God being able to influence the outcome, okay? So that it's not discerned or decided based upon an individual. This is to be settled by this principle. What it does is it takes the responsibility off the leaders and also the possibility of contention. If Josh was like, well, okay, you're going to get this. Well, I want that over there, right? Is that possible that might happen? Yeah. Holy moly. If you've ever distributed anything before, yeah. it is, that's the way it rolls. So it was the, the job of the leaders was to determine just the size. So if it was a large group, they got a larger piece of land. If it was a smaller group, they got a smaller piece of land. So Numbers 26 shows us that this is the methodology that God put in place for them to use. So we see Eleazar Joshua. And the tribal leaders were to cast lots, thus ensuring, again, there's no favoritism, leaving it up to God. Now, but I, can I tell you this? As believers, I do not, there's no instance where you're supposed to roll the dice <laughs> to figure out what you're supposed to do. Yeah. Now, what happens is many times we have to let go of our own expectations of what it is we want to happen. Sometimes we have a perception or something that where the where we believe we know how things should go. And what we need to do is let go of those expectations because, again, it's not our will. It's God's will. We want what God wants for us. And we trust God to guide us in the very same situation, though he's doing it here differently. We're not going to cast lots. But what they're doing is using a methodology that's going to help them to discern what it is that God wants for each individual tribe. But, see, for you and I, it's, it's different. See, we have something that they did not have. We have what's called the indwelling Holy Spirit 
of God. John 16, 13 through 15 says this, Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, is come, listen, you don't need to roll dice, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I, that he shall take of mine, and shall show it unto you. We don't have to guess at God's will. There is no point in time ever. We don't need to roll the dice. God, do you want me to go and uh, hang out at that uh, place where all that stuff's going on that I know I'm not supposed to be a part of? Uh, if I get double sixes, I know I'm supposed to go. <laughs> well, not what we do, right? We don't do things like that. We go to God's Word, and we allow God's Spirit to guide us to his will. We know that God reveals himself and reveals him with his will through his word. This is how God functions. Notice this. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 10. 1 Corinthians 2, 9. What it's talking about says, I have not seen, ear hath not heard, ear hath not heard, neither entered into the heart of the man the things that God has prepared for them that love him. That's not talking about heaven. That is talking about God's word. Okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 2 is referencing God's word. So here in verse 10 he says this, But God hath revealed them unto us, by his spirit, for the spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. The things God wants you to know, guess what? As church age saints, God's given us more than any other people at any other time. None of God's people have ever had what we have. We can turn to him, 1 Corinthians 6, 6 verses 19 through 20. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you? which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Pointing back to, again, our purpose, which is to glorify God. He says, you are the temple. Now before that, guess what? There was a temple on the earth, was there not? There was a tabernacle. It was called the tabernacle, which means dwelling place. The dwelling place of God, when his spirit came to the earth, he came into a physical manifested place, the tabernacle. But then things changed, and we know what happened to the veil was torn. Remember whenever Jesus died on the cross? And it mentions a veil being torn. That veil is inside of the temple of God. The veil in the tabernacle was the thing that separated God and man. And at the moment when Jesus dies, the Bible says that the veil was torn. Now, you've got to understand, in Jerusalem, that veil was about 30 feet tall. They estimate it to be up to two inches thick, but it says it was torn from the top to the bottom, Amen. revealing that God tore it, not man. And what happened was the division between God and man had been broken through the death of Christ on the cross. He had opened that door so that now we could communicate with God one-on-one. -on -one. And there was no longer a need for a place where God would come and dwell because he said, guess what? Now I'm going to dwell in believers, Amen. in you. So there's a difference, right? So God's Spirit lives in us. No one in the Old Testament had the indwelling Holy Spirit. And there are people that will go, no, 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 no. But you don't understand. In the book of Psalms, 5111, dude, I'm telling you, I know I've seen it. It says this. David says, cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. See, there's proof. He's got the Holy Spirit. I want you to pay attention. The wording is very key and the way it's written is very key. King James Bible reveals it to you. I want you to notice how it's spelled. Holy Spirit is lowercase. Okay? Now, if you track God's Spirit in the Old Testament, you're going to find that it is capitalized. That's a referencing of God Himself, His presence. When you and I in the New Testament, we receive the Lord, we receive the capital S-P-I-R-T. I-R-I-T. Sorry, I left that out of letter. But it's capitalized. We look back in Genesis chapter number 1, verse 2. In the Old Testament, notice when it's actually God. Spirit of God. Look in Genesis, what is it? Uh, I wrote down 41.38. Again, the Spirit of God. Talking about God's presence. We look in Exodus 35, verses 30 through 31. People go, well, I don't know. What about this? And Moses said unto the children of Israel, See, the Lord hath called by name Bezalel. He's a craftsman. The son of Uri. The son of Hur of the tribe of Judah. Keep going. 31. And he hath filled him with the, lowercase, 
spirit of God in wisdom and understanding and in knowledge and in all manner of workmanship. God anointed this man to have a special ability to be able to do something unique, right? David was anointed as king. These men were anointed. God's hand was placed upon them. Judges 6.34, look what it says of Gideon. But the, yeah, but the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, not in Gideon. There is no indwelling of the Spirit of God. There is an anointing for a period of time. That's why David said, hey, Lord, you know, don't take your anointing off of me. No, no, no. Because guess what? Before him, Saul had the anointing. And what did the Bible say? He lifted his hand off of Saul and he placed it on David, right? Very, very big difference. So we have that indwelling Holy Spirit. And so for those Old Testament saints, the mechanism God had for them, to use, to discern for them, to be able to recognize what it was, was using lots. Now, again, therefore, thereby removing the human element and eliminating the possible contentions among them. And when it comes to you and I, when it comes to this, us implementing God's plan for our lives, we're going to go, okay, what is it the Lord wants for me? What does he have planned for me? Listen, we simply allow the Spirit of God to give us insight through his word to what his plan is for us. We just go here and we seek him. Notice what it says in James 1.5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally, means generously, and abradeth not. He doesn't hold it back. And it shall be given him. And we know from experience that, listen, God reveals himself, himself and his will through his word. And so knowing that this is where God reveals things, is it possible that this is where we would search? Yeah. We wouldn't roll the dice we go to God's word and go, Lord, show me what it is you have for me. And you know what's amazing? If we seek him, we will find him. Listen to the wisdom from Jeremiah 29, verses 12 through 13. Then shall you call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And ye shall seek me and find me, listen, when ye shall search for me with all your heart. Man, do we truly earnestly seek him that way? Are we going to the word of God? Not as an intellectual endeavor for us to learn knowledge, but as a life and death search for truth. Because I can tell you, it is just that. It is life and death. Listen to the psalmist as he says this in 42, 42 verses 1 and 2. As the heart, the, that, when you say H-A-R-T, it's talking about a type of deer. It says, and, the, and as, as the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. And when shall I come and appear before God? Is that how we come to God's word? Are we thirsting for it? Are we hungering for it? Do we desire it more than meat? Right? Is that what we're doing? Very, uh, our very life depends upon it. It's absolutely key. Look, never, God never leaves us in the dark. He wants us to know him. And he wants us to know him intimately. He wants us to understand his heart. He wants us to understand his desires. Remember what 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10 says? But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. Those deep, deep things that God holds valuable, he'll show them to us. Every little detail if we'll just have ears to hear. Time and time again, Jesus said that. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Let him hear. Because there's a big difference, right, between being in the room and someone speaking. I guarantee I see it every week. And people actually listening to what you're saying. I can tell you there are people sitting here, you know what, and y'all are rearranging your house and your head. You're picking out wallpaper. You're thinking about lunch. You're doing all kinds of stuff like that. And I'm just like, come on, come on. Just get it with me just for a few minutes. We'll wrap it up quick, I promise. But do it, it, I can just look at your eyes. I can just see people just glazed out. I'm like, okay, whatever. Um, but anywho, uh, God wants again to reveal those deep things to him. Luke 11, verses 9 and 10, he says it this way. And I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. Listen, he that seeketh findeth. To him that knocketh, it shall be opened. Remember that word shall. We learned that's a promise word. He says, if you will not, guess what? I will open it up to you. And so we've seen the facilitators of God's plan and the implementation of God's plan. Next, let's consider the compromise 
of God's plan. And this is one that we're familiar with. We've been studying it over the last few weeks. For Moses had given the inheritance of two tribes and a half tribe on the other side of Jordan. Now, again, we have studied this. We saw this failure in leadership by Moses. He made a decision. He made a deal based upon the desires of these people, his followers. They wanted something that they desired more than what God had for them. They said, look, we don't want Canaan. In fact, we don't want anything there. You keep it. We want what we want. And Moses said, you know what? As long as you'll fight for us, you can have it. So he should have told them, hey, no, 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 God has something so much better for you. No, no, focus here. But before they ever got in the promised land, he made that deal with them. It's recorded for us in Numbers 32. And repeatedly, we saw that as God recorded it in the book of Joshua, every time he talks about it, it says, and Moses gave, and Moses gave, and Moses gave. Not at the commandment of God, it's Moses' choice. And again, verse 3, for Moses had given the inheritance of two and a half tribes, right? So we see, again, this is Moses' plan. So because of his short-sighted decision that he made to compromise, this would make the people divided. Certainly divided in, uh, in, in regards to what they were going to receive, but divided literally physically. They were going to be divided by the Jordan River. Two and a half tribes would be on this side of the Jordan River, and the rest, nine and a half tribes, would be on this side. They are divided before they ever get started. We read last week, Jesus said this in Matthew 12, 25, 12, 25, And Jesus knew their thoughts and said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to des- desolation. Okay? And every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And so what we see is they're going to start off divided. And when it comes to making God's plan, fulfilling God's plan for his people, and making it a reality for them, Moses did not establish a firm foundation from them to work on. He literally set them up, unfortunately, for failure. Because understand, through his compromise to the desire of the two and a half tribes, he disregarded the directives of God and inadvertently didn't choose, didn't want to do this, but he literally sowed discontentment among God's people. He literally created and made a provision for division in the family of God. Okay? And if we're not careful... If we fall prey and compromise to the fleshly desires, they be, whether they be our fleshly desires or someone else's, but we fall prey to it because we listen to it, we adhere to it, we give in to it, then you and I, guess what? We are creating a provision for division in our lives, certainly between us and God because we've compromised what God would have us to do, but recognize it can also be division in our homes, between us and our spouses, between us and our children, our families between our brothers and sisters. When we compromise what it is that God expects of us, we are setting ourselves up for destruction. Recognize the devil does not want to destroy you outright because guess what? He doesn't have the ability to do so. But you know what he does want to do? He does want to get you off course. He does want to get you ever so slightly to compromise. And we think about that. They go, okay, well, you know, I'm not, I don't do that. And yet, there are subtle attacks every single day when it comes to making choices. We have, a, we have an understanding of what God, we have, we have the mind of Christ. I know what God's expectation is, and I'm in a situation, I will choose who will I listen, who will I follow. Will I give myself to the desires and the, and the heart of God, or will I compromise what he desires and try to find a, a happy medium? And you know what, people will say things to themselves like this, you know, it's, it's, it was just a word. I mean, people use words, just a bunch of letters. Look, it, it, it was just, it's just one sip. She's just a friend. Right? It's just a website. It's just one time. Compromise. How do people end up in deep sin? From one compromise. It's a slippery slope. And when we start to compromise in one area, guess what? It makes it easier to do it again. And eventually we find ourselves way down here, and we're like, how did I get here? And if you track it back and you do the forensics on it, you could go, you know what? It was that moment. It was that moment when I compromised. The Bible warns us specifically about this kind of thinking. Ephesians 4.27 says, give not place to the devil, or neither give place to the devil. That word place, right? What it means, and if you've got several different translations, it means authority, and it means license. 
Don't give the devil authority in your life. He's looking for a fracture. He's looking for a crack they can exploit and split and divide. The devil works through division. What does God constantly talk about? Unity, 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 unity. Couples should be one flesh. And let no man draw, put asunder, right? That means no man, no woman. Or relationships, unions, God's all about unity, yet the devil is the exact opposite. So we look at our society and we look at where it is in a divided place that it is today. It's because people have lost sight of who they are in God. They've been told that the solution is not a relationship with the Lord because guess what? That's a crutch. Don't trust the word of God because you know what? It can't be trusted. Yet this is the foundation of our faith. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And yet people don't know it. They're biblically ignorant. We talked about last week, people have been taken every which way in all kinds of doctrines. They'll listen to all kinds of people that will say things, but they don't ground it in the word of God. We want to found ourselves in Scripture. Ultimately, understand, he wants to impact our walk, not only for the sake of us, but also for the sake that our life then touches other people because people are watching our testimony, Right? People are watching to see if you're real. Your neighbor, they hear you're a Christian. They see a bumper sticker on your car, and they're going to watch you and see what happens. And we live in a world today where people want to claim Christianity, but they don't want to live it. Right? But the goal is, in the Bible, people earn the term Christian. The Bible says they were first called Christians at Antioch, meaning that their behavior, not what they said, but their behavior denoted Christ, and they were being made fun of. We live in a society now where everybody wants to claim Christian and then live like the world, but what if we lived like a Christian and we didn't say a word about who we were, and that person came to us later on and said, you know what, I've been watching you, and there's something weird. You don't handle yourself the way other people do. Are you a are you a Christian? In fact, I am. I can just tell. That's the way you want to do it. Not bumper sticker, tattoo, hat, da-da-da-da-da-da. Get out of my way, moron! That's the world we live in. It's crazy. Nothing more destructive to the Christian faith or the work of God than hypocrisy. Notice what Jesus says in Matthew 15, verses 7 through 9. Ye hypocrites... Well did Esaias prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips. They say and do, right? They say all these things. But their heart is far from me. Listen to this. But in vain they do worship me. It's a waste of time. In vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines, teaching the commandments of men. They're not even teaching my word. They're teaching the words of men. It's why Jesus admonishes the church of Laodicea. When you get to the book of Revelations and you see what he says in that seventh church, which is representative of the seventh church age, he says this, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would. I would thou work cold or hot. I would listen. I want you to pick. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. You make me sick. He's going, listen, I would rather you be sold out to sin and committed to wickedness than for you to claim to be a believer and live a life that is a compromised Christian walk. That's the world we live in. And I, God, let's pray it's not us. But listen, hypocrisy is one of the most destructive things in the world. Most people that you meet who have a problem with God can track it back to a person an interaction with someone who claimed to be a Christian whose life looked nothing like Christ. It's true. I've had so many of those conversations, and if you track it back, there was a moment when they went to a church or dealt with a person, and the hypocrisy of that individual brought destruction. So we've seen the facilitators of God's plan, the implementation of God's plan, the compromise of God's plan. Next, let's consider the holy purpose of God's plan. But unto the Levites, he gave none inheritance among them, for the children of Joseph were two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim. Therefore they gave no part unto the Levites in the land, save cities to dwell in with their suburbs for their cattle 
and for their substance. You see, there were 12 lots that were going to be established or distributed out to them. Now, remember, Joseph or Jacob had 12 sons. But what we find is there'll be two sons, Levi and Joseph, who will not receive an inheritance. So what will happen, because those 12 lots are going to be given, Jacob's or Joshua's two sons, Joseph's two sons, sorry, I got it out. Joseph's two sons, we saw in Genesis 48, those two, he said, I'm going to make them as my sons, as they are Reuben and Simeon. So he took them as his own sons. Joseph, who would have received something, now his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, become their own tribes. The Levites, because they are, their inheritance is to be, they receive their inheritance from God. They're not to set their heart on having anything in the material world. Okay? They're not to have possessions, anything that would tie them down. They're to set their affections on the Lord. It says, therefore, gave they no part unto the Levites in the land, save cities to dwell in, and their suburbs for their cattle and for their substance. This means that where they lived, their provision in life would come from the other tribes making provision for them. The people of God caring for the, the men of God. This is how missionaries are cared for. This is how full-time ministers are provided for. But not only is this showing us how God provides for the church, but it's also pointing to something else for us individually, right? Recognizing the fact that, listen, you and I, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says this of you and I. It says, but you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And so here you and I are. We are priests. We're in a priest class as believers. And in the church age, you know what God's trying to tell us? Hey, we're not to live for this world. We're not to live for material things. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 says this. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Listen. Where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. This is not where you're supposed to set your heart. We're not to give our hearts to desire personal gain. Now, this does not mean that you and I have to live as a monk on the side of a mountain going, you know that? That's not what this is about. And we have no, no possessions. That's not what this is about. It's about the heart, right? It's about setting our hearts on wanting to attain things in the world. If we're desirous of things, 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 guess what? They become our God. There are people right now, man, that desire stuff so bad. They live for stuff. And you know when they get their stuff? In a very short, very, very short period of time, the sparkle wears off. And guess what they need? More stuff. You got it, right? Not to set our heart on this present world, 1 John 2, 15 through 17. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the, love the, love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Listen to that, the lust of the eyes right? The, the pride of life, the lust of the flesh. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Jesus discusses the same subject in Matthew 6, verses 20 through 24. He says, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither rost, where, rost, neither moth nor rust. That was a conjunction of Rust and moth together. Um, where moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do break through, nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Again, it's always about the heart. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, the whole body shall be full of light. Man, if your eye is focused on the Lord, your heart is given to God, your light is going to shine into the world around you. But listen, but if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall, shall, shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? The same way you can influence for good, you can influence for bad. You can have a terrible testimony. You can be a child of God who's walking and living in sin and bringing destruction to everyone who's watching you through their hypocrisy of your life. No man, verse 24, no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot, you cannot, you cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot love this present world and love God. The Bible talks about in the book of James, chapter 4, verse 4. Jesus calls, he says, adulterers and adulteresses. He says, ye adulterers and adulteresses. Know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? To be a friend of the world is to be the enemy of God. He says, listen, you're unfaithful to me. 
I've proven my love to you. I went to the cross. Every day I forgive you. My mercies are new every day. I walk with you everywhere you go. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I am faithful. Would you love me? And we're like, man, that is a beautiful car. Wow. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put that as background on my phone. Yeah. And every day when I go, on, like, yeah, one day, baby. You're going to be mine. It's amazing. We got our flesh is, is always hungry for stuff. And God's saying, hey, look, why don't you put me first? Because when you had that kind of relationship where you're kissing, oh, man, your friendship with the world makes you the enemy of God. It's amazing. Let's ask ourselves, where is my heart really set? Where is my treasure, right? Is it in heaven? Or is it on the earth? God wants us as priests to be dependent upon him for everything. Is that where we are in our lives? Are we in a place of dependence? So I wake up every day and say, Lord, you know what? Not my will, thine be done. God, whatever path you have for me, Lord, I surrender to your will for me. Would you use my breath? Would you use my voice? Would you use my hands? Would you use my feet? Would you use my will? Would you use my desires? Would you use my mind for your glory today? God, can I just be surrendered and submitted to what you want to be accomplished through me? God, could I just be an empty vessel today? Could you help me to empty myself of myself that the Spirit of God would take charge and that, Lord, when I meet somebody, I not be concerned with how it's going to impact me. But you know what I'm thinking? How can this impact them for you? Right? That's who we're supposed to be. Matthew 6, again. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. All the stuff you stress about, I'll take care of. Now, what happens with a verse like that? Because it's been said many times in this church. We can just learn it. And we might even be able to quote it. The question is, are we living it, right. right? Because knowledge of Scripture, though it's good, the Bible warns it puffeth up, makes you prideful. Because we think because we know, we are. No. Application is the key. Why are Wednesday nights important? Application, application, application. We can have all the biblical knowledge in the world and not apply it. And guess what? You're not profitable for the kingdom of God. But you know what? Hey, if we will simply apply what God's taught us, man, a victorious Christian life is available to us. So we've seen the facilitators of God's plan, the implementation of God's plan, the compromise of God's plan, and the holy purpose of God's plan. Lastly, let's consider the fulfillment of God's plan. Verse 5. As the Lord commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did, and they divided the land. Okay, playing the hand that they were dealt, Joshua and the Israelites are going to do the best that they can to accomplish what God had established in the very beginning. Now, this is a compromised plan. If we want to know what God's plan was, we can go back to Exodus chapter number 3 at the burning bush. He tells us, speaking of the children of Israel, the Lord reveals to us his plan in Exodus 3.17. And I have said, this is God speaking, I will bring you out of the affliction of Egypt unto the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and we like to add in the pizza bites, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, right? The goal is to get you into Canaan. That's my desire for my people. Do you get it, Moses? That's the plan. Remember, the exodus is not just about getting them out of Egypt. That's not it. It's getting them out of Egypt. That's only the very first part of it. Then the goal is to get them in to the promised land. He keeps setting their affection there. The land flowing with milk and honey, flowing with milk and honey. That's where you want to go. That's where you want to go. That's where you want to go. And what happens is many people get saved. They get their exodus out of Egypt. They get out of their sin. They're brought out through this miraculous work of the blood of the lamb. And then they get out and they're like, okay, that's it. No. They pass through the Red Sea. Guess what it's a picture of? Baptism. Then they get out into the wilderness. Guess what that is? It's a picture of the Christian life. What will we do with this life? Will it be full of choices every day? Will you trust God to provide the water? Will you trust God to provide the food? Or will you complain and murmur and rah, 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 rah? And when he gets you right to the border of the promised land, will you trust him and step over the Jordan? Will you not look at what you see? Will you not trust what you see? Will you walk by faith? No. You know what? We're not going in. And 40 years, he said, for the 40 days that they searched, he said, you're going to have a, for, uh, for every day you search, there'll be a year that you're going to wander in the wilderness. 
And those men that went out there and saw that and came back and gave a new report, they're all going to die. And over a 40-year period, this entire generation's going to die. And your children will go into the promised land. And amazingly, there are so many people that lose sight of the goal. They get out of Egypt and they're like, that, we're good. No, there's a whole other process. The, the, the coming out was solely 100% God. Salvation is 100% God. You cannot lose your salvation. That's established by Him. It's proven by Him. You're sealed with the Spirit of God. But the life you live, the life you live, that's up to you. Every day we get to tell God, I choose you or I choose me. Every day by choosing Him we say, I love you. Every day we say, thank you. By submitting ourselves to God's will, He uses us for His glory. And then we can finally experience what He created us for which is the promised land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's a place of peace and rest with God. And most people live in the, in the wilderness, fighting day by day, trying to survive, instead of setting their affection and seeking God first. So we see this aspect of what's to come. He wanted it for all of them. Now we know that Moses made a choice. He made a deal with Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. And what was intended to be fulfilled, they could not do it. Though much of it would be fulfilled, but God's intention was that they would all be there. So Eleazar, Joshua, and the tribal leaders distribute the nine and a half tribes, or the nine, nine and a half, they distribute the, the, their inheritance to the nine and a half tribes as they were instructed to. Numbers 20, verse 34, verses 16 and 18, I'm almost done. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, These are the names, this is God speaking, These are the names of the men which shall divide the land unto, El, unto you. Eleazar, I want you to pay attention to the order. This is God's instruction way before they get in there. Eleazar the priest, Joshua the son of Nun, and you shall take one prince of every tribe to divide the land by inheritance. The order is important. We mentioned last week. So God determined the facilitators, what it was they would do. He, he, he determined what it was they would do. He, he uh, discern, determined the process for the implementation. He determined the holy purpose of what would be reflected through it. The only part that God did not determine was Moses' part, Moses' compromise. And you know what? Like these Israelite leaders, there will be situations that were created by other people. There will be circumstances that, listen, we're going to have a desire to do God's will. We're going to have a desire to accomplish what it is he's created us to do and do it exactly as he said. But we'll be in a situation that's not exactly God's plan. We'll be in a situation where there is sin that has impacted it. And what will happen is, not because of a choice necessarily maybe that we made, but a choice that someone else potentially made. A byproduct in our life. Perhaps as a child, right? Perhaps as a child, we were raised in a family that was a mess. Maybe we lived in a life, we lived a life or, or, or lived in a home where, where sin was everywhere. Where it was not godly, but filled with godlessness. And we have to look at that and go, okay. Now, in order for that home to get that way, there were choices. Choices made by individuals. Maybe not even us. Maybe we were just a kid. Choices that were outside of our control. And we look at this and we go, okay. Now, as those bad choices are made, they establish patterns as kids, we watch. We look at how our house functions, the way people respond. And what we have a tendency to do is follow the same patterns that we've seen before, to follow a human, a human path, establishing something that maybe we could, we could emulate even. But see, that's not, as a child of God, that's not what we do. We don't follow the patterns of men. We don't follow the examples set for us. We do what we do according to the commandments of God's word, no matter the situation, right? What we find with Joshua and these guys is, guess what? They were given a situation. They weren't dealt a good, good deal of cards or deck of whatever it is, I don't, whatever, hand of cards. There you go. They weren't dealt something that was perfect. They weren't given a perfect scenario. They were given a scenario that was already messed up because you recognize the fact that this, they were already, before they ever got into the land, 
This had already been established. So before Joshua ever got to that point, before Eliezer ever got to that point, it was already a mess. So they're doing their very best to do exactly what God says according to the word that they were commanded. And so they're taking a situation that's not a perfect or it's an undesirable situation. And instead of allowing that undesirable situation to impact what they chose to do, they decided to do what God called them to do. They wanted to honor the Lord's command. And see, how about us? Right? We're all a result of situations or circumstances or families that we grew up in, situations that maybe we're in even as we speak. How will we respond? Will we respond in kind and do what's already been done? Or will we look at it and say, you know what, this, is, this isn't what God would have me to do. I'm not to follow the pattern, the pattern of men. I'm supposed to follow the pattern of God. Because we can build upon destruction with more destruction. Or we can come into that situation and say, no, you know what? I'm going to do like Joshua and Eleazar and those tribal leaders did. You know what they did? In spite of their circumstances, they committed their hearts. Right? They committed their hearts and their efforts to honoring the Lord and doing the best that they could to fulfill God's plan. And whatever circumstance you're in, wherever it is you come from, however broken it may be, how messed up it may be, can I just tell you this? All you can do is control you. If your spouse is a mess, hey, all you control is you. Your kids are a mess, all you control is you. Ultimately, we're going to work on us because you know what the Lord does? He honors faithfulness. Yes. We're very good as, as humans at pointing fingers at what's wrong with other people. I'd say most of us are experts. <laughs> Incredibly good. If you don't know what's wrong with you, ask me. I'll tell you all about it. <laughs> right? That's the way we think. And we're constantly judging one another, and we shouldn't. Our job is to love. If someone's got a problem, you know what my job is to do? Help them out of it. Deal with it. Walk with them through it. Love them in spite of it. Reach out to them. Give them an example to follow that maybe is not what they know in their life. Because, you know, so many people live the lives that they do because it's all they know. If you grew up in a world like I did, well, I grew up in a secular world. I didn't know it wasn't sex, drugs, and rock and roll. I thought it was as much of that as you could possibly consume before you're dead that you win. And you know what? At 34, I realized that was not the truth. And praise the Lord, he set me free. Amen. But, you know, there's a lot of people outside these doors that believe that way. And they are striving to attain the things of this world, following a pattern of men that is going to lead them to destruction, separation, and brokenness. And it's not until someone intervenes because they love them. The only reason why someone came to our house is because they, they loved us. Amen. Man, I'm telling you, man, love covers a multitude of sins. God wants to use you, use us to minister to be ambassadors, to love the unlovable, to heal the ones that are hurting, and to restore those that are broken. It's the mission of this church. It's the mission of believers, though many times we lose sight of it because we get so consumed with what we're dealing with. Again, remember the priority? God's glory, God's mission, me. Let's keep it in the proper order. Recognizing many of us know what it is that we should do. It just comes down to doing it. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for today, for your truth, for your word, for, Lord, what you've shown me, if no one else. God, thank you. I pray that, uh, God, you'd use this message today for your great glory, Lord, that you'd help us, uh, Lord, to refine our walk, to recognize the enemy, Lord, as he's coming against us. God, to recognize that our, our, we must be careful not to compromise. Our job is to love. Our job is to be consistent. Our job is to follow the example that you set for us, not what, not what man sets for us. So, Lord, I pray for surrender in this place today. You tell us, submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Lord, we want to be conquerors for the glory of God. And, Lord, it's only through surrendering to you that that can be done. For my brothers and sisters, maybe they're dealing with stuff today. Maybe they're struggling with circumstances that follow that are not even of their own making. Perhaps they are. But Lord, whatever the circumstance, 
God, I pray that you'd help them not to follow a pattern of destruction, but Lord, I pray that they would see the pattern of restoration that's pictured in you. Lord, when you were reviled, you reviled not. When you were hated, you loved. God, when you were ridiculed, you cared. Father, your mercies are new every day. You set the example on the cross saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Lord, help us to have that kind of heart as we deal with our adversities and help us to love those around us, maybe even the ones that are hurting us. Because Lord, that love can bring them out, can heal them and you. Thank you, Father, for what you're doing in this church, through this church. Help us to continue to minister to this world around us. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, you're here today and you say, listen, pastor, I don't know where I stand with God per se. 34 years ago, someone asked me if I knew for sure I was going to go to heaven when I died. And I said, you know what? I hope so. I did not know Christ personally. I knew who God was. I believe God existed, but the devil believes in God. He's not going to heaven. Ultimately, what it comes down to is this, a surrendered heart. Jesus said, no man cometh to me, but the father draw him. If you're sitting in this room today and you feel the draw of God, He's speaking to your heart. You're watching this recorded or you're watching it live today. If God's drawing your heart, all you have to do is surrender. That's what this is about. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You have heard the word of God today. And Jesus loves you right where you are in your brokenness, in your lost condition. He loves you. He died for you. And he's offering you the gift of salvation. And with our heads bowed and eyes closed, if you want to receive that gift, There is no magic prayer. There's no ceremony involved. It's nothing more than a broken heart calling out to a loving God. He's ready to receive you. And you can pray and ask him in your heart. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm going to lead you in prayer. But again, it won't be the words that will do anything for you. Because God's not listening to the words. He's listening. Listening to our hearts. So Lord, I pray, even now, that God, you'd work in the hearts of men and women and boys and girls. And Lord, that you would speak your truth to them. Lord, would you draw them through understanding who you are? Repeat after me. Dear Father, I know that I'm a sinner, and I know that I've sinned. I'm asking you right now, in the best way I know how, to come into my heart, to forgive me of my sins, and to give me a home in heaven. Lord, I love you, though I've really just now met you. Would you help me walk with you? and live for you. God, thank you for saving me. I'll see you in heaven one day. For it's in Jesus' name I pray and give thanks. Amen.